Good morning, everybody. How you doing this morning? Listen, if you are a guest of ours, just like that said there, uh, we're glad you're here this morning, and we'd love to get to know you a little bit. If you'd like to, you can talk to us after service, which there's, there's a bunch of things if you go to our website, like you can connect and you can sign up for Next Steps and do all that stuff there if you're like one of those real bashful people that don't like talking to people like myself, amen, but don't let that fool you. I will talk to you, so, so you feel free to come up and chat with me. We'd love to get, you, get to know you, but we're glad you're here this morning. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 13 this morning. And you bear with me this morning and sort of give me some support and encourage me along the way because my voice was about to go out before I even started this morning, but I took a big swig of the anointing oil and the Lord has sustained me. And I did that before the first service and I really did it. That's not a joke. So the Lord has sustained me through it. But Matthew 13, I want to talk this morning about a very simple message about the Word of God. I want to talk about a heart check. Everybody good this morning? You, got, you there in the Scripture? Look at your neighbor and say, it's good to see you this morning. I'm glad to be sitting by you. Amen. This is a much more docile crowd than the 9 a.m., which is strange. <clears throat> Matthew 13, verse 1. It says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying... A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold. Some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, their case, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning because we believe in the power of your word. And God, we honor your word because you even say that you honor your word above your name. And so God, we open our hearts and we ask today that you would give us ears to hear just as the scripture says. Because Lord, you want to show us something. You want to teach us something. And you want us to receive your word in such a way that it transforms our lives. And I believe God that you have a word that as it's received this morning will actually change the direction in some people's lives. And so Father, we open ourselves to you. And we pray that you do your work and your word will produce its fruit in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 
So most people have probably heard this parable before. It's obviously a very popular parable. But it's, it's written in the book of Luke. It's also in the book of Matthew and Mark. And in Mark, Jesus actually says, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable? And so he's teaching this and he's talking about how the Word of God functions and how it should work in our lives and how we should be open to receiving it. And he's trying to elevate an understanding in our minds about the importance of the Word of God because the, the Word of God is essential. And so the past, the past few weeks we've done a sermon series called Did God Really Say? I don't know if any of y'all were here for that. Most of you maybe have been. But I covered some subjects that honestly I didn't want to preach about. And just to be straight up with you, that, that, that series just about wiped me out because we dealt with some difficult cultural issues because we live in a world now honestly where our culture is trying to indoctrinate us to believe things that are contrary to God's word and we stand in a battleground right now as a church as to what voice we're going to listen to and as to what we're actually going to believe and hold on to and it's so important that we value God's word during this time in our lives and we put it above everything else we talked last week about something called uh, the Wesleyan quadrilateral and basically he said if you want to know the will of God you got to have four things you got to have the scripture you have to have tradition or basically years of interpretation of that scripture you got to be able to think and reason and then you got to have your own experience with that as well and then you can know the will of God for your life so First and foremost, we start with Scripture and we take 2,000 years of church history to know how people have interpreted and thought about it so that we just don't come up with our new interpretation all of a sudden because it's 2023 and we feel different. Amen. And then we think about it and we reason and we take that application of Scripture and apply it to our life. And here's the thing that all of us need to understand. When you come to Scripture, every single one of us, we're going to come and we are going to experience and face things in Scripture that honestly we may or may not like. Like it's probably going to rub up against you and you may say, man, I don't know if I agree with that or not. But what happens is we come not to align Scripture with our experience, but to align experience with the Word of God. And so he's trying to teach us how the Word of God works. And he says the Word of God is the seed and the heart itself is the soil that is to be sowed into. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul said it like this. He said, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. And so here's the thing. I was listening to something the other day, and it was about, about Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you guys know about him, but he's a famous psychologist right now. He's pretty smart. He talks about Scripture, and people are wondering if he's a Christian or not. And somebody asked him if he believed in God. And, and he, he was, it took him a minute to speak about it because here's what he said. He said, I think that most people don't understand what it means when you say you believe in God. Most people will flippantly say, well, yeah, I believe in God. I believe there's a God. But what he's saying is that if you really, truly believe in God, it requires everything from you. Because if there is a God and you believe in Him, that means that He created you, He designed you, and He has some sort of standard in place, some sort of direction, some sort of will and some sort of guideline that if you believe He actually is God, the creator of the universe and the designer of your very body, mind, and being, then it requires your entire life to respond to that. And so what He's saying is, is if you believe in God, that by default requires a certain action from you. It's one thing to believe it, and so they believed the Word. 
Spirit of God, Paul said, whenever they spoke it. And he said, not only did you receive it, but you welcomed it. Because I want you to imagine, you know, you come into my house and I receive you into the house. And you walk in and you're, you're happy to see me, but I just sort of sit down and put my hand on my face and don't look over at you. And I'm just sort of aggravated and I'm scrolling through the TV. And I, because you have interrupted my Netflix and chill time. You know what I'm saying? I received you, but I didn't welcome you. Amen. I brought you into my house, but I didn't want to engage you or have a conversation with you. He said, you didn't just receive it as the word of man, but you received it as it actually is. You received it as the word of the living God, not something that came from men. Because in today's culture, most of the attacks that we have as Christian believers are attacks against the word of God and what it says. Can we believe it? Is it outdated? Maybe, maybe there's some things that we can shift around and change because it's so old now and we're different and we've come to a greater knowledge of certain things but no he's saying no you received it not as a word from man that can be changed but you received it as it is the word of God and because of that you welcomed it into your heart and you engaged with it as if this is something that I must value and hold dear above everything else in my life and he said because of that notice this he said it effectively works in you who believe effectively works is the Greek word energeo it's where we get energy from basically what he's saying is that the word of God itself has the energy of God in it to produce transformation in your life now what happens is sometimes even us preachers we can preach the word of God and get very discouraged because it seems like it's not working in people you know what I'm saying but I want you to understand this it, 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 you got to understand that it's not the word that the issue is with it's the soil that we have an issue with because sometimes when we don't see transformation we could lose confidence in the word but the word itself contains the power of God the issue is is the soil in which it is planted. A, a, a seed that is a, a fruit tree has all the potential in the world. It has the energy to create luscious fruit. But if somebody does not plant that seed in fertile soil, water it and pull up the roots and the weeds that are around it and protect it so that it has a good environment to grow in, it will produce no fruit in that situation in a person's life. The Word of God has limitless power, but we have to receive it, we have to welcome it, we have to believe it. And this is why he starts the parable by saying something like this. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. And I'm thinking to myself, what does that even mean? He who has ears, let him hear. I've got ears, I can hear. But seven times in the book of Revelation, when Jesus is dealing with the church, seven times he says, he who has ears, let him hear. What he's trying to say is, what Jeremiah honestly said in, in, in back in Jeremiah chapter 6, he says, many people have an uncircumcised ear. They have an ear that is so full of the flesh and so full of the world and the world system that when God speaks, they cannot hear what God is saying. They're so listening and tuned into another voice, the voice of the world, that when God speaks, they reject it. Matter of fact, in your own life, I want you to this in your own life you can be so tuned into the world and you can be so tuned into the, the voice of the demonic that they're saying something over you that is not true about you it's not God's word so much so that you are you have believed it you have welcomed that lie that now when you hear the word of God you reject it as soon as you hear it you say that's not for me You've built up strongholds in how you think about the Word of God. And this is why in Luke, Jesus says, Therefore, take heed how you hear, for whoever has to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, seems to have, will be taken from him. And the only power that Satan really has over us is the lie. 
It's, it's, it's a battle between what you're going to listen to and what you are going to believe. And our world is inundated with all kinds of contrary belief systems, all kinds of false doctrines and teachings that come from the TV shows that we listen to, that come from, the, from, from different voices in our own mind that are going on, that are contrary to the Word of God, that help us move us in, into a place where we no longer believe what God says about us. And here's the thing. It's not that you deny what's happening in your life or you deny that you're hearing that voice. It's just the fact that you say, I don't receive that message because I'm tuned into another voice. I'm tuned into the Word of God. And the Word of God is essential because God can speak to us on a personal level through the Holy Spirit. He really can. But God's Holy Spirit will never at any point contradict Scripture itself. The Holy Spirit will never contradict what the Word of God says in Scripture. And so what the Holy Spirit does is He illuminates Scripture when we have the Word of God open to us. Now, if you really believe that the Bible is God's Word, don't you think every now and then He would open that sucker up and read it a little bit? Like, if I really believe that God Himself wrote a book, so to speak, why in the world would I believe that and never actually read it in order to receive it into my life? Because this is the means by which he has said transformation will take place. That's where the energy and the power of God is. And so Jesus says if you want to understand every other thing in Scripture, you need to first understand how the seed of the Word of God works. Because if you don't know how it works in your life and your heart is not prepared to receive it, you may hear the Word of God but it never actually get into the seed of your heart. And so we want transformation. We want something different. But you got to ask yourself, what voice are you going to tune into? And I want to say this, that God oftentimes, believe it or not, will hide many things. He talks about the mystery of the kingdom has been given to you. You know what a mystery is? It's actually literally something that has been hidden. It's a mystery. Something that has been hidden. God will hide things, but let me say this. He doesn't hide them from you. He hides them for you. Because God will give His truth and give His revelation only to the person who hungers and thirsts for it. If you've got no heart for it, if you treat it on a common level, if you come in and say, oh, just another sermon. If you open the Scripture and say, oh, it's just the Bible. No big deal. There's nothing here. There's no power here. Then He will veil things to you. And this is why He said, I spoke in parables. I spoke in parables because I wanted to see whether or not somebody actually had the heart and the thirst and the hunger to pursue my truth. And when they have the hunger and the thirst and the desire for it, all of a sudden that unlocks a door and there's revelation and I reveal to them the mysteries of the kingdom of God. When there is no hunger, when there is no thirst, the mysteries are veiled and we are locked out. And we sit back in a corner wondering why everybody else is excited about Jesus. Somebody amen me this morning. This is good. Even with my bad voice. Martin Luther said we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. My heart has to be tuned to a certain position. Y'all ever just go through weeks and the week's bad and it's a little bit sour and somebody ticks you off and, and uh, you know something bad happens. I don't know. Anything could happen. And all of a sudden your heart just sort of gets out of tune. And you forget who you are. You forget who God is. You wonder if good things are going to happen. You even wonder what you're doing on this earth. But the gospel reminds you who God is, that He's the creator of the universe. And He loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son to come and die on a cross for your sin while you were in darkness. To take your sin, to take your shame, to take your pain. And He has called you His very own child, His very own son, His very own daughter. And if I believe in Jesus, what He does is He gives me a new spirit and He gives me a new heart and He gives me 
a new mind. And then he redefines who I am so that he says, I'm no longer what I used to be, but I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this world is a short time. What we're currently living in is a short time. So now I have a calling and I have anointing on my life. And I have a purpose. And my purpose and my design is to yield fully to God so that He can use me to bring bring glory to His name and point somebody to Jesus so that both of us can inherit eternal life. That's the reason I'm here. For God to get His glory. And when I hear that message and I remember that my identity is not based on the things that I own or my title or anything else like that or what this person says about me or what the world says about me. My identity is in the fact that I'm a child of the living God anointed by the Spirit called to bring other people into this kingdom. And that re-centers my heart back on the truth so that I can hear the voice of God to me. Hebrews 5, verse 12 through 14. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, if you look at Scripture, it actually teaches that the Word of God has different roles. One of my favorite passages of Scripture talks about how the Word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. I love the fact that it's sore. You know what, you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, hey, the Word of God is living and active, and it's softer than a Q-tip, and it'll tickle you. It don't say that. It says it's sharper than a two-edged sword and it pierces to the dividing asunder of the spirit and the soul and the joints and the marrow. And that when the word of God comes to you, it cuts so deep into your heart that it actually exposes attitudes and motives. And it lays your heart bare before God so that it can cut off things in your heart and in your mind that are not of God. False identities, lies you have believed, it comes like a sword. The scripture says that the word of God is like a mirror that when I read it, it reveals the true me. It says in one place that it's like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces because sometimes people are living so caught up in their own style of life that they need a word that literally comes and breaks the hard rock so that we can get down to some good soil. The word of God comes as a light to our feet and a lamp unto our path because in a world of darkness, man, we can get easily confused, can't we? And so you have all these things. And then in this scripture, he says there's the milk of the word and there's the meat of the word. The milk of the word comes to encourage us and strengthen us like a newborn baby. You know, when, when, when we first got Naomi, she was just a little, she was like six pounds, eight ounces or something like that. I said, let's get that girl a steak. You know what I'm saying? Well, that would have killed her because she was just a baby, an infant, in need of the, it, the Bible says, to, to desire the sincere milk of the word. In other words, you cannot grow spiritually Unless you come into a place where you desire and long for the sincere milk of the word that encourages and soothes and comforts and strengthens you in your identity in Christ and raises you up and lets you know that God has good plans for your life. And all of a sudden you you have the power within to know this is who I am. This is who God has called me to be. But as we grow, we, we mature and we move past some basic principles. And he says we move on to the meat of the word. And the meat of the word is that which provokes causes change it corrects how many of y'all you love correction here this morning one thing that i found is most people don't most people want to they, they you know the bible even says that there would be a time coming that people would no longer endure sound teaching 
but they would heap to themselves teachers that they wanted to tickle their ears. They wanted the Word of God to not be a sword, but to be a Q-tip. You know what I'm saying? Just tickle it a little bit, make it feel a little bit better. Amen? Y'all are with, y'all are, y'all are with me this morning. Another type of the Word of God is the promise. There are 7,487 promises made by God to humanity. And basically what it does is God takes these 7,000 promises in Scripture and He says, I want to plant these in your heart so that you can get a hope-filled future of what I want to do. That when this Word is implanted into your heart, you begin to dream and you begin to envision this is what God wants to do in my life. And you start to look forward to it. You start to see it. You start to envision the reality. And he says people that receive this Word by constant practice, they begin to, dis- they begin to exercise and strengthen their powers of discernment to know the difference between good and evil. We live in a confused world. Would you agree? Most people don't know the difference between good and evil. They have no idea what the truth is. And he says, but if you get in the word of God, you exercise your powers of discernment so that you know how to discern between good and evil. Right and wrong. You see the difference through the word of God. James 1.21 says it like this. He says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So he's saying, if you want to receive this word even this morning, what you've got to do if you want to see actually some fruit is you need to push back the filthiness in your heart and the rampant wickedness and with meekness receive this implanted word which is able to save your souls. Somebody said, well, that that word's not for me. I got saved 20 years ago. I was down at the Baptist church. I went up, prayed a prayer, praise God, I'm saved. Amen. That's great. I thank God that you are saved. But this is actually a present tense verse. This word that you are currently receiving is able to save your souls. Because salvation, I know you ain't going to like this, it's an ongoing process. Not only did he save me, when I first believed in in Jesus Christ, I was justified just as if I'd never sinned, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and I was saved from the penalty of sin. But currently, I still need to continue to receive the implanted Word of God. On a daily basis, I need to be saved from the power of sin. Ultimately, when Jesus returns... He will come and glorify my body, set me free from all sin, and I will be saved from the presence of sin. But in my life currently, thank God I was saved some 15 years ago, but I'm currently being saved because I'm pushing back the filthiness and the wickedness in my heart. And with meekness, I'm receiving the implanted word which is currently able to save my soul. It's able to give me peace in mind. It's able to bring joy into my life. It's able to save my soul. So let me get into the parable here because we're talking about receiving the Word of God and Jesus gives different types of soils. And number one, He talks about the path, the seed or the Word of God that was sown on the path and this is the hard heart. Here's what He says. Verse 18, He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the Word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This was what was sown along the path. Now the path... If you're going out in the woods or whatever, you see a path. And the reason a path is there is because everybody has walked that direction. Amen. The path has become hardened. It's a very clear road because everybody has walked on it. But that's not where you sow seed because it has been stamped down and packed and it is hardened. Now in our lives, it's easy for us to just literally do what everybody else is doing. 
Well, everybody else spends their time doing this, so why should I spend my time in the Word of God? Well, everybody else thinks like this about things, so why, why shouldn't I think about this? And so when the Word of God comes that contradicts the well-worn path in the direction that everybody else is going, in the direction that everybody else is thinking, it's sown on that path and it has no crevice in which it can take root. And so our lives are not transformed because the birds of the air... The demonic powers come and snatch away that seed which was sown because it's still on the top of our hearts and it never took root. Now one, one of the ways you can look at this is it says, he says, notice, he says this is the person that hears the word of God but they don't understand it. The Greek word here for understand, it means to put things together in order to act upon it. To put things together in order to act upon it. And so what he's saying is, is that literally in the church, you can hear the Word of God and you can even say amen to it. I could preach this morning and say, you know what, folks, we ought to be generous people. We ought to, to use some of our money to, to help the poor and the person that's in poverty. And you could say, amen, I believe that. That's the Word of God. And you could walk out the doors and never put any of it into practice, never be a generous person, never help a person that's needy, and go on and come back in and hear a word a year later that says the same thing, and you say amen to it because you believe it in your mind, but it never took root in your heart because you never put it into practice. And can I say that churches are filled with people who hear the Word of God over and over and over again, but they never put it together in order to act upon it and obey it in their life. Matter of fact, we were in small group this week, and one of the, one of the things that we read, this is a really good quote by John Tyson. I, wanna, I want you to read what he says here. He says, We live in a time of history when it's never been easier to listen to the best content in the world and yet to do almost all of it with a complete lack of accountability. We listen to sermons as entertainment and even make reality TV shows about pastors. We have access to the best and latest teachings regarding Jesus and Scripture. But the point of all of this is for you and me to become like Jesus by obeying Him. We're not going to be held accountable for how many talks or sermons we've listened to, but we will be held accountable for whether or not we've obeyed what God has put in front of us. It's very dangerous to binge on Christian content and never put any of it into practice. Rather than a culture of discernment, we create a culture of deception. In other words, I can live with a high level of theory and a low level of experience. Why? Because I hear a sermon every single week. I listen to podcasts. I turn this dude on and listen to him. And what I'm really doing is I'm listening to a preacher who will entertain me the most because preaching has become more about entertainment as opposed to a word that comes from God that can transform my life if I put it into practice and obey it. Oh, man. I'm preaching better than y'all are shouting this morning. So he's saying we move into a place where we understand it, receive it, and put it into practice. But let me, let me say this. Why would anyone else, why would, what other reason would there be why somebody might not understand the Word of God? I sort of turned, I, I've, been, I've been really in the Scripture lately, and this sort of turned in on myself. And, and I thought about my role as a pastor and as a teacher of the Bible, because I think a lot of people don't understand simply because they're not taught. I think a lot of people don't understand because there aren't a whole lot of good Bible teachers. 
I think a lot of people don't understand because we, we, we've, we, we've tried to keep things on a surface level. Matter of fact, I was telling them this morning, I've been to several pastor's conferences. And at some of these pastor's conferences, one that I didn't go to, but I know the guy who, who, who led the conference, like their, their whole argument is, you know what, we should actually just keep things very vague on Sunday morning. Don't, don't draw a hard line in the sand. That way people can come in from either side of the spectrum. And when they come in, you, you, at least, you don't make them leave your church unnecessarily. And so let's keep things vague and not be very clear about real societal issues. What I think and what I believe is that we need, we need biblical clarity more than ever before. Because people don't know the truth of God's word from front to back. They don't know what to believe. And rather than deal with serious issues and serious topics that people are questioning, we try to gloss over it because we don't want to offend anybody. But what we've got to come to an agreement on is that, listen, the only thing that can transform a person's life is the word of God. And Satan will come and steal that word from people's hearts if they don't truly understand it and know what scripture is saying. You need to know what you believe. You need to be in the Word of God and understand and have biblical clarity. Because before long, I, well, I listened to another guy this week. This kind of comes to mind, but he was talking. He was, he was from a big, a big church that if I mentioned it, most of you would probably know it. And he was the teaching pastor there for like 10 years. And he said they had this mantra. And the mantra was to belong before you believe. And he said it was really good. It was a good PR stunt. Matter of fact, it caused people to come. And he said we were doing like five, six services every Sunday. And we had people literally that could not get into the building. The line would wrap around the building and some people couldn't get in every Sunday. They had so many people coming to their church. But their mantra was belong before you believe. And what he said is it really ended up being very confusing because what happened is you ended up bringing people into your church and you just talked, talked about, about, about Jesus in a real vague manner and you made everybody comfortable. But after about a year or two years, what they found out is they had people on the worship team, people greeting, people working in kids' church that when they were really pressed and asked they actually did not believe in Jesus and were not following him when it came to the actual core doctrines of whether or not they actually believed in Jesus and believed his word to be the truth and not not something that was of man or whatever they didn't actually believe and so the question is do we want a church that actually has some depth to it that actually people are rooted down in, in, into this truth and reality and know what they believe? Or do we just simply want people that come in and they don't understand it and we keep things vague? Secondly, you have the rocky ground, shallow heart. Jesus says in verse 20 and 21, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So in your heart, some of the rocks that may be in your heart are, are, are literally just things like bitterness. Maybe uh, pain. Maybe some kind of a loss that you've experienced. For a lot of people, the rocks that are in their heart are literally church hurt. You hear about that all the time within the church. I, I say this, and I've said it several times, but... Have you ever thanked God for the fact that you are a part of a church where people are so messed up that they might offend you so that you have the opportunity to forgive and love them and learn grace the way that Jesus actually wants you to love and forgive them and learn grace? Y'all ain't never thanked God for that, have you? 
Thank God that I get to be a part of a church where people will hurt me. People may say hurtful things to me. People may offend me because then I have an opportunity to forgive them and walk in love toward them and extend the same grace that Jesus extended toward me so that I can grow into the image of God. When the Word of God comes into your life, it will be challenged and it will be tested. Some of you, you'll open a Bible and you'll, you'll read it and you'll say, Man, this is good. It says that love is patient, love is kind. It keeps no record of wrongs. God, do that in me. I want to be patient. I want to be kind. I want to keep no record of wrongs. And then that week, you're going to face about seven people that are highly unlovable. And you say, well, this, ain't, this stuff don't work. No, it works. But in order for a word to take root in your heart and actually be effective, it must be tested. The word of God in your heart must be tested or it's not authentic. And you say, well, is this God or is this the devil? The same thing that the devil will use to tempt you is often the same thing that God will use to test you. One place in Scripture here, it talks about this, but before I get to that, it says that immediately they receive the word with joy. They receive it on an emotional level. If you're like me, you come from a Pentecostal charismatic background, we can get really emotional. Amen. Like, like I, could, I can even sometimes manipulate a service to where at the end of it, I, I know that I can have people crying. You know what I'm saying? And you, and you just keep, keep playing the music. Keep play, there's somebody out here, you know, like we can go into that. And then before long, emotion creeps in and you're like, man, I need to respond to this. And you can respond with emotion and say, man, that is a good word. I received that. You can come to an altar and pray and weep. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I love emotion. Matter of fact, I get aggravated when there is no emotion. Amen. I like a little bit of amen, a little bit of amen. Everybody's like, well, we don't. <laughs> we don't like that, Clay. Anyway. But it says they receive it with emotion. But we know how to tickle the keys, man, play, play to the emotional level. But it's very possible to respond with emotion to a word, cry, weep, and then walk out these doors and in a week's time completely forget. And that word have no transformative effect in your life. He says they endure for a while. But tribulation or persecution comes. And tribulation, it literally means external pressure, distress, or affliction. He says tribulation or persecution comes because of the word. Now, how many of you have been in that situation? Like you've gone through something where difficulties, external pressure comes, and all of a sudden your prayer life, it gets a little bit weak. You're thinking, man, I, I don't know about this. I've been, I've been praying. I've been serving God. seems like things are getting worse. And do you know that God's desire is not for you to live your happiest life? God's desire is for you to be transformed to the image of Jesus. And sometimes that means you will have, matter of fact, you will absolutely have to face trials and tribulation and persecution and death and suffering and all of those things in this life. It's not a matter of whether or not you will have to experience those things and suffer those things. It's a matter of whether or not you will have roots in God to where you can receive a peace that passes all understanding while you go through those things. Because Jesus has brought us into this place, but he says these things come on account of the word. In other words, a word of God can go forth and come into your heart. And Satan says, man, we, he, 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 he liked that word. He received that word. He's trying to apply it to his life. Let's put some external pressure on him in order to cause him to fall away from this word. Let's, let's cause some pain in his life. Let's get somebody in the church to offend him. Let's give him some loss. Let's have him pray some prayers and make it look like they're never going to get answered. 
So that when that comes, he gives up that word. And even though he responded initially, that word has no place to take any root. See, if Satan can't steal the word, he's going to use circumstances to make you let go of the word and not take root in your life. Psalm 105, 19, this is a good scripture. It says, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Now, this is in the context of a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament. And so basically what happens is he receives a word from the Lord. He has a dream that one day he's going to be elevated to a great position. And his family is going to bow down before him in obedience. And he releases that word from the Lord to his brothers, which turned out to not be a good idea. Because his brothers said, well, if you think that's the truth, I think we should kill you. And so they were about to kill him. And one of the brothers said, no, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. So because of the word of the Lord, his brothers want to kill him. Because of the word of the Lord, they end up selling him into slavery. And then because of the word of the Lord, he is falsely accused, ends up in prison for 15 years. And the entire time during that, God is saying the word of the Lord was testing him. Because sometimes God will give you a word, and he says in order for that word to come to pass, you actually have to go through the process of refinement to get to the fruition of that word. So there's times when God is going to give you a word on your character, on your nature, on what God wants to do in your life, on what God wants to do in your community, on what God wants to do in your family. And you receive it and you say, yes, man, that is a good word. That is a promise from God. I'm holding on to it. But all of a sudden, you face difficulty and you say, man, that must not have worked. And immediately you are offended and you fall away. And the word there for fall away is this Greek word, scandalon. It means baited trap. It's the word that's often translated offense. And what it's saying is, Satan sees that you have received a word from God, a positive word, something, man, that's brought joy, that says, I'm going to transform your life. i got good things for you. i got good things for your family. Your family's going to be saved. But all of a sudden, he baits a trap. Some kind of circumstance, persecution, tribulation. And when you enter into difficult times, immediately you are offended And you take the bait and you start to question and doubt God. You start to question and doubt His goodness and His faithfulness. And it says because of that, you immediately fall away. And even though that word sprung up, it begins to get scorched and wither in your life. And people live in this condition. They receive it immediately with joy, but it burns out and it withers away. You know, nobody nobody buys a bouquet of roots, do they? You ever went to a flower shop and said, "I I want a dozen roots. It's Valentine's Day. I want to do something nice for my wife. Nobody says that. But I can promise you this. Were there not good roots, you would have never received the rose. There had to be good roots in order for the rose to be received. So what's another reason that somebody might not have a root? And I think it's probably because there's no discipleship. There are people who have immediate response but no outward commitment. And they take no root. Matter of fact, you know, talking about these pastors' conferences, I remember there was a lot of pressure uh, for a while. People were saying, you know what? On Sundays, what we need to do is we need to preach to the lost on Sundays. Preach to the lost, preach to the lost, preach to the lost, over and over again. Well, you know, biblically, actually the church exists for three primary reasons. To worship God, 
to equip the saints, and then to reach the world. And it happens in that priority, in that order. Because if we start trying to reach the world before we've actually worshipped God and equipped the saints, what we do is we fill our churches with a bunch of shallow people who have no root, and when hard times come, they fall away. What we need is a church that is willing to submit themselves to the discipleship of the Lord Jesus Christ, receive the Word, learn the Word, study the Word, take the Word in their heart, and allow it day by day to take root in their heart to bring transformation. So that when difficult times come, we don't fall away because our roots are deep in Christ. And we believe that if we have a church whose roots are deep in Christ, those people will go out and reach the world. And when lost people came, come in, they will see such a deep-rooted relationship with God in the believers that they will say, man, this Jesus thing is real. This Jesus is real. And they'll respond accordingly. Number three, the third type of soil is thorns, and this is the divided heart. Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, it says, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world... And the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. You and I, with our thoughts, with our attitudes and with our appetites, we have the potential to literally feed a weed that will grow up in our hearts and choke out the plan and purposes of God. With our thoughts, with our attitudes, and with our desires, we have the potential to feed a weed that will grow up in our hearts and choke the Word of God and the purpose of God for our life. Now, he says one of the first things, he said, the cares of this life, the cares of this world. Cares, there is a Greek word, marinma, and it literally means it can be translated anxiety. Now, everybody, almost everybody I talk to, they talk about, man, I've got anxiety, I've got fear, I've got all of these things. And it has to do with anxiety, and it has to do also with a divided heart or distractions. In other words, what he's saying is the reason that many people have anxiety is because their heart is divided, and they say, you know what, I want to serve Jesus, I want to put Jesus first, but I also have these other options that I'm sort of got here competing, and the cares of this life, and the distractions of this life, and the busyness that I'm caught up in, is so dividing me that I feel the pressure and anxiety of this life and so when the word of God comes into my heart it gets choked out because I got too much fear to move forward with what God has for me then he says not only is it the anxieties right but it is the deceitfulness of riches the deceitfulness of riches and here's the thing he doesn't say riches in and of themselves will choke the word of God. It says that the deceitfulness of riches will choke out the word of God. And here's the big issue with it is because God says you cannot serve him and wealth. You can't serve him and money. God has promised to be our provider. He's promised to add everything onto us that we want. But here's the deceitfulness of riches is that most of us, we try to get our identity from how much money we have in the bank, from the career that we have, and the things that we own. And we pursue that as our identity instead of the calling that God has upon our life. It's not that God doesn't necessarily want us to have money or a good career or a good job. It's the fact that we start to pursue those things because we think we are nothing unless we have that. 
And we say, man, if I only had more money, if I only had a better car, if I only had a better wife, if I only had a better job, if I only had a better house, then I would be satisfied and I would find fulfillment. And then my identity would be secure. And, I'm, and what he's saying is that is the deceitfulness of riches. That somehow in a title or more money or a better career or more things, you can find an identity. And it's not that those things in and of themselves are bad. It's just that when they become the pursuit of our heart, they begin to choke these things out. And every moment that you and I spend in worry or anxiety or in the pursuit of other things or other desires or riches or wealth, rather than saying, God, what do you have for my life? We feed that weed that comes and starts to choke some of that stuff out. You know, several times in my life, I've been offered what would seem almost like a promotion jobs that were double the money that I make, like certain things like that. And I prayed into it, and I thought, man, these, this is God. This is God wanting to bless me. Anybody amen me this morning? Like, anytime you get offered more, you think, oh, this has got to be God. Well, it could be God, or it could be the devil trying to choke the Word of God out of your life. And the only way you can know is through a personal relationship with Him, because some things come from the Lord and some things do not. And it's important to discern those things because what ends up turning your heart away from God, I want you, well, here's the thing, promotion will come, more money may come, and God may use that to bless you in a million different ways. But the issue is not whether or not, we've, whether or not those things are good or bad. The issue is, is this from the hand of the Lord or is it something that I'm now pursuing on my own? And I come to the Lord because at the end of the day, I say, God, I don't want anything to creep into my heart. Desires for other things, desires for wealth, desires for riches, or the cares of this life and the anxieties of this life to come in and choke out your word so that you do not get the fullness of the fruit that you want to produce in my life. I want your will. If you want to give me wealth, God, let it come from your hand. Because I want to pursue what you want to pursue, and I want your word to be done in my heart. And see, the issue is we have a difficulty with this because of comparison. And oftentimes what we'll do is we'll compare ourselves to others. And when we see that we don't have what they have, we drift out of our lane trying to pursue what they have when God has said, that is not your lane. That is not what I have called you to. And the very pursuit of that will get you into such a place of distraction where he says, that weed will begin to choke the Word of God out of your life. What do you want more than anything? You know what I'm saying? Like, Are you asking God to give you more of this thing or that thing or more of this? And I mean, you can ask God for those things, but ultimately your identity is not in the job you have, the car you drive, the house you've got, or any of those things. Your identity is in Christ alone. And from that position, you are able to function in those roles and steward that money and steward that house from a healthy place. But if those things start to be the reason you're alive, it will choke God's plan and purpose out for your life. And so he's saying don't allow that comparison to take root in your heart. Because I want every word of God to be fulfilled in your life. Lastly, number four is the good soil. And this is the devoted heart. He says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, sixty. And in another, thirty. In every seed, there is enormous potential. Every oak tree you've ever seen anywhere... No matter how big that sucker is, it started out as an acorn. 
And the Word of God has that same potential in your life. If you're willing to push back the weeds, if you're willing to push back the sinfulness, as it says, the filthiness of the flesh, and allow your heart to be broken before God and receive the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. And you say, but God, I want to see this kind of transformation in my life. And he says, absolutely, I want to see it too, but it begins with a seed. It begins with a seed and you commit to the process and you water that word and you keep the weeds uprooted and you keep your heart clean and you forgive those who offend you and you walk this thing out and you say, God, I want you more than anything else in my life. More than a different job, more than more money, more than any of this. I want to submit to your will for my life. And the devoted heart doesn't allow any competing loves to creep in. When you decided to marry your spouse, what you decided to do was to say, I'm not going to let any other competing love break into the boundaries of this love that we have for one another. And in the same way, the devoted heart says, my life is for God and for God alone. And I want the seed of His Word to take root in my heart and I want it to go deep. And I don't want any weeds to choke it out because I want God to get a hundredfold from my life. And so he's saying, check the condition of your heart. Where are you currently? What are you walking in? What season are you in? Because he wants the seed of his word to take root and for him to be the Lord of your life and for that to begin to produce fruit in your life. Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And God, you know every heart. And I, I pray that we would just be able to take this moment to see where we are at, God, with you. Because you loved us so much, God, that you did send your son Jesus to die for us. And you've given us this word which is able to save our souls. And so, Lord, if there's anybody in here this morning that does not know you, Jesus, and has not experienced salvation, I pray, God, that you would so convict their hearts to let them know that this is the time, this is the day of salvation. Lord, that you have loved them and you are drawing them even now in this moment by your Spirit. And, Lord, for the rest of us, in the places where we need to forgive, God, let us forgive. In the places where there has been desires for other things that are choking out your word in our life, God, expose that so that that weed can be pulled up. Father, I pray that you would do the work that you need to do in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives so that we could be transformed by your word. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come and begin to do your work in each and every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to take some time to worship and respond to the Lord. So I want you to use this time because this is valuable. Don't just, don't just bypass this, but take some, take some time right here. You can come around this altar and pray. If you need prayer for anything, if you need prayer for healing, if you say, I need to give my life to Jesus, would you pray for me? I would love to pray for you. I'd love for you to come forward. But let's take a moment here to worship God, to respond to His Word, and let Him do what He needs to do. Amen.